Welcome back to Teaching 101, Bellevue's resource for training teachers and potential teachers. We're still in section number two titled The Process, and this is lesson number six, developing the big idea and an outline. The first thing we want to do when working through developing a lesson is to determine what the CIT or the central idea of the text is, or some may call it the big idea of the passage. So we're looking at what is the central idea of the text, whether we're working with one verse, a section of verses, an entire chapter, or a book, we need to find out what is this passage saying. Greg Scarf says in his book, The Art and Craft of Biblical Preaching, at a minimum, we should ask six questions. Number one, what is the text functionally? So if we're looking at the verse, and let's use John 3.16 as an example, if we're looking at John 3.16, how does verse 16 fit into the overall chapter of chapter 3? And we could even go further than that and say, how does chapter 3 and verse 16 fit into the whole book of John? And so what we're wanting to ask is, what is this text functionally? How does it functionally fit into the larger portion of Scripture that it's sitting in? The second question he asks is, what is the subject of the text? So you would look at the verse and say, what is the subject of John 3.16? For God so loved the world. Is the subject God? Is the subject world? Is the subject that he's talking about his only begotten son? And we would ask ourselves these questions and begin to actually unfold the verse, almost like you were diagramming a sentence in the English language. And so he asked the question, what is the subject of the text? The third question is, what is the text saying about the subject? So for instance, for God so loved the world. We could say that God is the subject, and it says that he loves the world. So not only does God love, we could understand from this verse that God is love. It's not that he just has love, God is love. And so we find by saying, what is the verse saying, or what is the text saying about the subject, that it answers the question of, who God is. The fourth question that Scarf says to ask is, what response does this text call for? What does it call for? So, for instance, in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What does this specific verse call us to do? It calls us to believe in Jesus. That's what response is looking for. And it's interesting, as you go throughout Scripture and you're developing different lessons, you're going to find different times that there are different types of responses. Let's take our pastor, for example. There are oftentimes Brother Steve will be preaching, and when he gets to the end of his sermon, he has a call of repentance. It's because he was specifically talking about a very specific sin or set of sins within his sermon, and he's calling us as listeners to if any of us are partaking in those sins, to repent of those things. There are other times he calls us just to worship the Lord for who he is and what he's done. There are other times he calls us to go to somebody that we've hurt and ask for forgiveness. There are different ways to have people respond. And even Jesus, when he was talking with people, asked for different responses. For instance, sometimes he would heal somebody and he would say to them, go and tell everybody that you know. However, there were other times he would heal somebody and he would say to them, don't tell anybody what you have seen here today. So there are times we should ask for different responses. And so the question that Scarf says to ask is, what response does this text call for? The fifth question he says is, how does this text elicit that response? 
So how does it bring that response about? How does it have the listener look towards the text and see that response, feel that response, and then want to respond to that response that the text is calling us to do? And then the sixth question he says to ask is, how does this passage contribute to the larger drama of redemption? How does this passage contribute to the larger drama of redemption? In other words, all throughout Scripture, from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation, we know woven all throughout Scripture is the plan of Jesus Christ to come to earth and to redeem his people to himself. He came so that we could have life and we could have it more abundantly. He came to die on the cross and to offer us the gift of salvation. And so what we want to do is in every text that we're looking at is how does this text point to Jesus Christ, his shed blood on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, and that call to repent, believe, and receive? All of the teachers, all of the preachers I've ever heard throughout my life, I think our pastor, Brother Steve, is one of the best at this. He can take almost any text and he can preach, and he can bring all the context out, and he's been going through the book of Isaiah, and he can do that so well, and at the end, you'll see him turn it, and he'll share the gospel in such a way that it just flows easily right out of the text that he was preaching from. And so we always want to ask that question, how does this passage contribute to the larger drama of redemption, of God's plan to save his people from their sins through the shed blood of Jesus Christ? So these are six questions I would encourage you to ask when you're looking at determining what the CIT, the central idea of the text is, or the big idea of the passage is. The second thing I want to talk about today is an outline. An outline keeps the teacher on track and allows the hearer to follow along easily. I want to say that again because I think it's very important. An outline keeps the teacher on track and allows the hearer to follow along easily. I know for me personally, even as I was developing this series to teach, I have an outline because it keeps me on track. It helps me with my pace. I know exactly where I'm going next, and it gives me an opportunity for me to follow along easily as I have developed the lesson, but it also gives the hearer, the person that's listening, an easy way to follow along. I want to say this about an outline, though, and I think this is so important. Let the text drive the outline. Don't develop an outline and then try to force it into a text. And we've talked about that before. That's exegesis versus eisegesis. And when we talk about letting the text drive the outline, that's exegesis, exiting out of the passage what the outline is. So let the text drive the outline and then keep the outline simple and understandable. For instance, don't use words that people don't use normally. Don't use words that people would have never heard of before. Use language that's easy to understand, language that people use on an everyday basis. Keep it simple and understandable. I know sometimes when pastors are preaching, and I believe Dr. Rogers is one of the best at this, that he would alliterate. All of his different points would start with the same letter, or they would start with the same word. And if you can do that and that flows easily, that's fine, but don't force it. If it doesn't work, Don't worry about that. Keep it simple and understandable so that the hearer can easily follow along and they can remember those points as they walk away. If they walk away remembering our stories, remembering what we wore, remembering who they were sitting around, but they don't remember the text and what the text was calling them to do, then we have failed as communicators to communicate what we are trying to communicate. 
and that is that God loves them. God died on the cross to save them. God desires for them to walk with him and talk with him, and we want to point them to that. And so don't get cute and complex with your outlines. Keep them simple and understandable. What I want to do in the last few minutes of this specific lesson is talk about one verse and give you three pieces to an outline that are directly from the text. And so let's use the verse that we've already talked about, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let me give you three things directly from the text. Number one, God loves all people. God loves all people. What does he say? For God so loved the world. It does not say that God loved a specific group of people. It does not say that God loved a select group of people. It says that God loves the world. For God so loved the world. So we can pull out of that text, we can exegete out of that text, God loves all all people, because it says that God so loved the world. The second point that we could take out of this text is the world needs that love. Listen to what it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What is the passage saying? It is saying if you don't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will perish. That's not talking about a physical death. That's talking about spiritual death. That if you do not repent of your sins, believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead to save you and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will spend an eternity separated from God forever and ever. So the world needs that love. If they have any desire or if they want to spend an eternity with the Lord or have anything to do with that, they have to understand that they need that love. Apart from the love of Jesus, they cannot experience heaven. They cannot experience eternal life with the Lord. They cannot experience what that love is all about. So the world needs that love. The third and last thing to pull from this is Jesus is the only way to heaven. Notice it says that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is not a way. Jesus is not one of the best ways. Jesus is the only way. The only way to spend an eternity in heaven with the Lord is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Buddha can't get you there. Muhammad can't get you there. Other religions can't get you there. It's only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that you and I can have the remission of sins. So number three, Jesus is the only way to heaven. Now, there are more points we could pull out of John 3.16, but what I want you to understand is we took one verse, and in just a few minutes, we pulled out three truths that we see directly from this text. It was simple, it was understandable, and it was repeatable, and something that somebody can walk away and remember, God loves all people, the world needs that love, and Jesus is the only way to heaven. I want to encourage you, as you are developing your lessons, to start out by developing that idea of what is the central idea of the text? What is this passage saying? Use those six questions from Greg Scarf's book to ask while you're walking through the text so you can help understand what that is and to determine what the central idea of the text is. Then develop your outline and then present it in such a way that people walk away not remembering you, but remembering how you pointed them to Jesus. 